You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezra Sashem, tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the world of Shabbos. And as we spoke about last week and kind of framing the nature of Shabbos and the possibility that Shabbos offers a person, that possible calmness of spirit, that ability to live within a world of the redemption of the imagination where whether it's Shabbos in the middle of the week or whether it's Shabbos on Shabbos, Shabbos offers the capacity for an individual to rest assured that where I am right now is okay. And Shabbos gives a person the ability to stop living from a perspective of lack, to stop living from a perspective of deficiency and privation. And it allows a person to catapult themselves, to flung themselves into a space where we begin to operate from a place of enoughness, where each and every person is enough where our households are enough, where our communities are enough, and most importantly, our relationship with God is enough. That that world of die, that world of enough, enoughness, where a person no longer has to leave their Rishasayachid to search out for things that they don't have, where a person is prohibited to engage in the 39 malachos that are rooted in the sense that if I build something more, I will be happier. If I construct something new in my life, I will be more satisfied. On Shabbos, the halachos come along, the Torah HaKadoshah comes along and tells us that it's no longer time to build. It's time to accept. It's time to be present. It's time to sit in one's Rosh and to be comfortable within themselves. Now, we hinted or we prefaced at the end of last week's year that in order to understand Shabbos, in order to understand the Nakuda of Zman, that point in time that Shabbos represents, that present-mindedness, that presentness, that present moment that Shabbos represents in a person's life, there's a fundamental necessity. It's not simply a need. It's a necessity to understand the two time periods that bracket that moment of the present. Because when we live in the triparate breakup of temporality, of past, present, and future, based on our tzaddikim, on the maharal, on writings that precede the maharal, and the talmidim of the Bashem Tov, we understand that there are three compartments to the triparate breakdown of time. There's past, present, and future. And the past is not a reality. The past is something that a person no longer has access to. It's rooted in memory that unique human capacity to conjure up past events and to see them as if they were true in the present moment. And the past is very often that birthplace of sadness over things that are lost and gone or mournful kind of knowledge over lost time. And we also have the future, 
which is not yet present, which is also a non-reality, an unreality. It's not something real. It's merely a projection of the human mind in the present moment, an anticipatory gaze into the future of what will come next. Both the past and the present, both the past and the future are the birthplaces of either sadness or anxiety. A feeling of loss over what has happened in the past or anticipatory dread over what will happen in the future. And then nestled in between those two bookmarks of the past and the future is going to be the present moment. And what the Svarim tell us and what the Balei Nefesh tell us is that if a person wants to find joy in this world, if a person wants to find calmness within the self, if a person wants menucha or menucha sanefesh or yishav hadas, then we have to untether ourselves from the bonds of the past where we find ourselves stuck in the mires of sadness over things that are lost and gone. And we need to untether ourselves from the anticipatory dread of the future, which keeps us stuck in the mud of anxiety and dread. And we need to focus solely on what is present in front of us. We need to quiet down that judgmental mind that seeks to retain power over the past or to assert control over an uncontrollable future. And we need to center ourselves in the, in the here and now. And we need to colloquially be here right now in the present. But when a person begins to try and practice that idea, because that idea runs very well when it comes to Shabbos, because Shabbos, the idea is that it's menucha, it's the present moment, where a person is disconnected from the past and the future. But when a person looks a little bit deeper into this idea of the present moment, the mind that is honest with itself and is vulnerable enough to acknowledge the chaotic sense of what takes place when a person tries to center their mind. When I try and focus in on the present moment, the moment at hand, what a person comes to recognize is that it is ungraspable, almost ineffable, that any time I try and hone in or focus in on what is present in front of me right now, I am always already in a reflexive state. I am always already judging what I am experiencing. And by judging what I am experiencing with my mind and with my cognitive processes, I am already objectifying the present moment, thereby making it a thing of the past. So that if I were to try and convey to another person that I am sitting in the present moment right now, by the time that those words, the present moment, leave my lips, that moment has already died. That moment has already slipped away into the past. And I will either be guilty of a fallacy or to come and recognize the impossibility of nailing down the present moment. And the reason for that is that the present moment is so encompassing, so real. It's all that there is. The hova is all that there is that to try and reflect upon it, to try and speak about it, to try and enunciate its truth, is to make oneself as if they're standing outside of the present moment. To understand something means to stand under something, means to be removed from that thing that a person is trying to describe. And to try and describe the present moment implies that a person is outside of the present moment. And when I'm outside of the present moment, I'm no longer in the present moment. The Maharal already points this out. The Rishonim already point this out. The impossibility of nailing down that particular moment of the Hove. 
And therefore, if we want to understand the hova, if we want to understand what it means to be present, what it means to live with the mindfulness that is focused on the center point, that nukuda of Shabbos, that point where a person no longer has to try and fix things from the past or worry about things from the, from the future. Our job is to simply be present. What we're going to come to realize is that there is no presence unless it is bracketed by the concepts of the past and the future. That while we don't want to become stuck in the past and the future, and while the past and the future are simply handmaidens that allow us to gain access into that moment, into that impossible moment of the present, the shadow that is cast by the two sides of the past and the future create the shape of the present moment. So that without a past or a future, there can be no sense of a present moment. And what this means for us is that if we want to understand Shabbos, if we want to understand Be'ezrus Hashem, what the Nakuda of Shabbos could mean, that Nakuda Behechala that the Zohar HaKadosh refers to, that point in the middle of the circle, that point that unifies everything, the center that allows itself to hold. If we want access to that center point, we also have to understand the past that preceded Shabbos and the future that comes after Shabbos. And the language that Chazal used and that the Torah HaKadoshah uses to describe these three modes of the temporal framework of Shabbos is Erev Shabbos, Shabbos, and Motzei Shabbos. Erev Shabbos is the past. Erev Shabbos is the time before Shabbos. Shabbos is the present. Shabbos is when a person experiences that which is present in front of them. And Moitzei Shabbos is after the present. It's what happens afterwards. And as we're going to describe in this series of Shirim and each of these categories, Erev Shabbos as the past, Shabbos as the present, and Moitzei Shabbos as the future, are going to be given three or, or so Shirim to try and understand what these time periods represent psychologically and spiritually. But we're going to come to find that without understanding Erev Shabbos properly and without understanding Moitze Shabbos properly, we have no access to Shabbos. Or phrased differently, without understanding the past and without understanding the future, we have no access to the present. On a psychological level or on a phenomenological level, if you will, these three modes of time, this beginning, middle, and end, or starting point, center point, and end point, represent three stages or three modes of being through which a person experiences the world and a HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the concept of Shabbos. Because as we said last week, Shabbos is simply the iteration of a name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we find this triparate breakup, this three-part breakup when it comes to the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as well. The Vilngon points out already in his Hagos on the Shulchan Aruch and Chilak Archaim that the Shem Havaya, the four letter name of God, the inutterable name of God that cannot be spoken the way that it is written, ever reminding us of the distance and the gap that remains between our grasp of God and the true nature of God, so to speak, that even when it comes to uttering the name, we can only say it in a way that it is not written. But in trying to understand that tetragrammaton, that four-letter name of Yudke Vavke, the Vilnagon already points out that those three phrases of Haya, Hova, and Yihia, past, present, and future, are what 
give us insight into that name. That just as time is broken up into a haya, a hove, and a yihia, a past, a present, and a future, so too God existed prior to the creation of the world, during the existence of the world, and after the end of the world when things revert back to the way that they were. And so when we contemplate this three-part breakdown of time, of past, present, and future, we're also contemplating our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is past, present, and future, who is before the world was created, during the time of the creation of the world, and after the world ceases to exist. And this gives just an additional insight into that language of the Zohar HaKadosh that we saw last week, that Shabbos is the fullest expression of the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because if we could understand our relationship with the past, present, and future, we can also begin to understand our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu as that which existed prior to our awareness, that which is present during the time of our awareness, and that which will exist and survive even after our awareness is gone. These three psychological modes of Erev Shabbos, Shabbos, and Motzei Shabbos can be described as follows. That Erev Shabbos is a time of yearning for something, desiring something that is not yet present, that drive to devour, that drive to have something which I'm missing in my life, that feeling that if only I have this thing, I will be comfortable. And that drive, as we're going to see, creates a certain urgency within the soul an urgency that says, I need what I want right now because without it, I won't survive. That yearning towards something prior to having it is going to be the arena of Erev Shabbos. Shabbos is going to be the time of having. It's going to be the time of possessing that which we've desired for so long. Finally, reaching the apex and experiencing what it's like to have what we have wanted for so long. So if Erev Shabbos is yearning towards something, Shabbos is having something. And then Motzei Shabbos is longing towards something. Because once we've had it and we've tasted it and we lose it and it's taken away from us, the feeling that we're left with, the psychological mode of being that a person is left with is a mournful longing. Longing for something that I had and I have lost is very different than yearning for something that I have never had yet. On Arab Shabbos, there's an urgency, there's a rush, there's a chaos. There's a running around like a crazy person without a head because of that deep urgency that says, I'm almost there, I, always, I almost have what I need so desperately. On Shabbos, there's a calmness. There's a silence of the soul. And on Motzei Shabbos, there's a longing, which is more of a mournful awareness of, I had what I wanted. I tasted what I wanted. And now it's gone. And now I long for it. I pine for it. After it. I know how powerful it tastes and I want it so desperately. And as we're going to see, Bezra Sashem, when it comes to the time for Motzei Shabbos, it's not Chas V'Shalom that we've lost something. It's just that we're growing out of what we once had and preparing ourselves for something new. But what I want to focus on tonight, Bezra Sashem, is going to be the introduction to the concept of Erev Shabbos. 
it's going to be the introduction to the concept of yearning for Shabbos, of desiring Shabbos so desperately. And when it comes to desiring something, when it comes to cultivating yearning for something, when it comes to somebody wanting to understand how desperately I need something, sometimes we need to take a look at the hither side. We need to take a look at the pain that we have as a result of not having that thing. Because as we all know in our own personal lives in different ways, yearning for something, desire for something is born out of a sense of a lack, out of a sense of pain that is born out of not having that thing that I want. A person who feels that they have everything feels absolutely no need to yearn for something. Yearning and desire is predicated on the sense that there is already something lacking. There is already a hole. There is already a blank space that needs to be filled. Without that blank space, without that pain, or without that chisaron or that lack, there's no need to yearn towards something. So if the experience of Erev Shabbos is the experience of yearning for something that I don't have yet, that means that the beginning process of Erev Shabbos is also going to introduce us with an awareness of the lack that we feel without Shabbos. In other words, what it's like to live in the whole, what it's like to live in a world of mundanity, what it's like to live in a profane universe that seems to have lost its inherent value, that seems to have lost that centering point, where anarchy seems to be unleashed upon the world because the center cannot hold. That world of chol, those elef yom in the chol that the Zohar Kaddish refers to, those a thousand days of profanity, those days where we're working, where we're struggling, where we're toiling, where we're toirich, where we're putting effort in and amelus in. That is the sense of the week. The sense of the week is a world of separation. It's a world where the annihilating presence of godliness is not apparent. It's a world that is post the chait of Adam Harishon. Adam Harishon, his chait took place on Erev Shabbos. He was born on Erev Shabbos, he prepared himself on Erev Shabbos, and he broke things on Erev Shabbos. Now obviously when we talk about Adam Arishon and that breaking, we don't mean any quote-unquote sin, God forbid. We don't mean some original failure, but rather we're referring to that constitutive event that took place at the very origin of human consciousness of the interrelationship between God and human beings, and that almost fundamental and necessary constitutive breaking that gives birth to the process of history. So it's very important, and Ravitchamaya Morgenstern Shlita points this out in the previous week's email that came out in Nishmas and Chadasin, that when talking about the chait of Adam Arishon, it's always incredibly important to remember that we're not talking about some human failure but rather what we're talking about is an event that was constitutive to the very fabric of history. And one must bear in mind caution when discussing these things. And while our tzaddikim do give us a slight access and an insight into what that chait of Adam meant, 
Nevertheless, we always have to understand that what we're speaking about is part of the very fabric of the process through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted the world to come into creation. That it wasn't that Adam Arishon was perfect and the world was perfect, and then Adam Arishon cast the world into imperfection and brokenness. But rather, as our Mikubalim Ha'amitzim teach us, as our true Kabbalists teach us, and our true Tzadikim teach us, things were already broken. Adam Arishon was placed in Ganeiden La'avda Ulashamra to work and to guard. Working and guarding already implies that there's a certain level of deficiency that was present. You don't tell somebody who is at 100% to guard themselves from failure because there's no need to fear for failure. But if the first warning that Adam Rishon gets is the fear of failure, that means that Adam Rishon was already susceptible to failure, which means that human beings in their very basic constitution are already liable to fail are already susceptible to brokenness. That's not some symptom that happens after Adam HaRishon. That's already true by Adam HaRishon. Because as we understand, ultimately a human being can never become perfect. A human being can never become God. A human being can never have a true seizure of godliness, but rather we live in the gap that exists perpetually between godliness and humanity. But that chayd of Adam Arishon takes place on Erev Shabbos. And as a result of that chayd, there's two punishments that are given. Through the toil of your hands, through the toil and the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn your keep. And secondly, that we were cursed with death. The Ramchal, of Moshe Chaim Litzato, points out a very painful beautiful and powerful idea. He says in his Sefer HaKadosh Adir Bamarom, Sefer HaKadosh HaKadoshim, he says that we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, tumas, that the day that you eat from that tree of the Eitzadas, you're going to die. That's the threat, that's the punishment. And Adam Arishon eats from that Eitzadas, and he doesn't die immediately. He's not dead. The Ramchal says that what we see from here is that the entire life process that takes place after Achilat's Eitz is a process towards death. That the punishment for the Eitz is not that a person would die immediately, but it's that life it will always be in the shadow of death. Begate Salmavath. That we can't appreciate life without that overbearing and burdensome sense that things might not last forever. That's the result of the Chet of Adam Arishon. Awareness of death, awareness of our eventual immortality. Now, these Lamites Malachos that Adam Arishon now needs to engage in, these 39 Malachos of toil and effort and struggle these are what constitute the whole. These are the nature and, and the experiences that give birth to whole. That world of putting in effort, of planting and having koits vidardar and having thorns grow out of the ground instead of finding exactly what you wanted. Of desiring something and realizing that the world is not offering me what I want. 
and the anxiety that is born out of that, and the machlokas that is born out of that, and the lack of peace that is born out of that. That is the world of chol. That is the world of toil and struggle. Chazal already tell us that somebody who puts in effort and is toirech, exerts themselves during Erev Shabbos, will merit to eat on Shabbos. And Chazal and the Ramchal point out that what that means is that Oilam Hazeh, this world, our experience in this world that is cut through with the anxiety and that death awareness that we spoke about, that's the world of, of Tircha, of Erev Shabbos. Oilam Haba is the world of Shabbos, where a person no longer has to put in that effort. But we see that the constitutive element, that thing that defines this world, is tircha, is struggle. And struggle means physical struggle, psychological struggle, marital struggle, financial struggle, emotional struggle, anxiety, loss of hope, despair, wondering what our role is. All of those elements that we experience in our moment-to-moment lives when we're honest with ourselves and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable for a moment, all of those things are part and parcel of the experience of chol, of the mundane week. Comes Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos is the time where we are forced to recognize that as I prepare myself to enter into a place of Shabbos, as I prepare myself to enter into that place where things are going to be calm for a moment, where things are going to be b'menucha. Tonight is the yard site of the Or Chaim HaKadosh, Rav Chaim Ben Itar, one of the greatest tzaddikim that the Jewish people have ever had. The Rachayim HaKadosh famously came to the Baal Shem Tov in a dream because the Baal Shem Tov felt that I need to get to Eretz Yisrael to meet the Rachayim HaKadosh. If I can get to Eretz Yisrael to meet the Rachayim, then Mashiach is going to come. Because the Baal Shem Tov saw himself as an aspect of the nefesh of Mashiach. And he said that the Rachayim HaKadosh was the Ruach of Mashiach. And so the Baal Shem Tov sets out on this journey to meet with the Orachayim HaKadosh. And the Orachayim HaKadosh comes to the Baal Shem Tov in a dream and he says, if you can see me fully in the dream, if you can see my whole body, then come and find me. Then we have what to talk about. But if you can't see my whole body, and you can't see my feet, then there's nothing to talk about. Don't even bother coming. And the Baal Shem Tov didn't see his feet. The Baal Shem Tov didn't see the Orachayim HaKadosh's feet. That didn't stop the Baal Shem Tov from trying. But it's the Orachayim HaKadosh's yard side. And out of the tzaddikim that speak about the world of Shabbos, the Orachayim HaKadosh is unique. Because although he wrote in a very different way than the tzaddikim and the tamidim of the Gra and the tamidim of the Baal Shem Tov, the Orachayim HaKadosh spoke in a lashon of Nister. And in his parish on Orachayim HaKadosh, when you look in Parshas Bereshis, the Lashonos and the language that he has about Shabbos are, are, are just simply remarkable. One of the teachings that the Orachayim HaKadosh points out 
is that the six days of the week represent the opposite of Menucha. They represent the opposite of calmness. What was the world lacking? What was the world lacking after those six days of creation? It was lacking Menucha. It was lacking calmness of spirit. It was lacking the ability to sit there and feel present and feel that I am enough. And so based on that insight of the Rahayim HaKadosh, the week, the mundane week, represents the opposite of Menucha. It represents difficulty. And when it comes time to try and enter into holiness, there's an urgency that is born. There is a chaos that begins to emerge. As that hold begins to subside, as we reach that elevated day of Erev Shabbos, that sixth day, what we begin to experience is the hope that emerges within the soul that Shabbos is close. And all of those powerful energies, those difficult feelings that are represented by the weak, anxiety and struggle and stress and fighting and unbalanced feelings and difficulties, as they prepare to be removed, they assert themselves even stronger. And so on Erev Shabbos, there's an emergence of a new power of the weekday. Mundanity and profane sense of experience begin to express themselves in their fullest capacity because they're aware that they're about to be shechted. They're aware that they're about to be pushed away. And so anger emerges and chaos emerges and frustration emerges. And a person feels that they're rushing here and there and everywhere. As Rav Avram C. Kluger Shlita points out, that this is clear even to somebody who's not even in their own house. It's one thing to think that the chaos of Erev Shabbos is because of the preparations for Shabbos. But even when a person has nothing to prepare, the air of the day, the sense of the day is chaos. The halacha dictates that if I damage somebody's property by running to and fro on Erev Shabbos, I'm not liable to pay because it's Erev Shabbos and chaos is expected. Because when darkness recognizes that it's its own time to die, when darkness recognizes that it's its time to pass away so that Shabbos can come and take its rightful place, it tries to assert itself even stronger. The Kamarna Rebbe's Chusa Yogan Elenu points out in numerous places he points out in his parish on Pirkei Avlis in Neitzar Chesed. He points out in his parish on the Megillus Esther and Kesem Oifir. He points it out in his parish on the Zayar HaKadosh, Zarachai. He points it out in the Siv Misvei that the darkest periods of his life, those points where he came to Sha'arei Mavis, where he came to the gates of hell, internally and externally, were always on Erev Shabbos. Why? Because consummate to the light that is preparing to emerge, the darkness is going to try and strengthen itself. Erev Shabbos is a time where chaos begins to assert itself in our lives because that mundanity and profanity of the week is about to die down, where light is about to overcome darkness. And when darkness recognizes that it's, it's time to go away, it struggles very much. There's a teaching from Rav Pinchas Karatz 
who I'm told and I believe that is an ancestor of mine. Now, even if Rav Pinchas Karitzer was not an ancestor of mine, the fact that my Saba believed that he was an ancestor of mine is more than enough of a raya. But Rav Pinchas Karitzer points out as follows. He says, Tam al Shena Be'erev Shabbos. Why is it that a person needs to sleep on Erev Shabbos? Now again, there's a minhag amongst Hasidim and amongst anybody who understands stress of Erev Shabbos that there's a need to take a nap. That that bone tiredness, that exhaustion leads a person to want to just rest. The chaos of the preparations of Erev Shabbos, whether they're spiritual or physical, leave a person wanting to take a nap. I think it was the Aptar of who said that the only kasha that he had in the Aserah Sadibros was that there wasn't a Dibra dedicated to taking a nap on Erev Shabbos. That he couldn't understand how it wasn't part of the very fabric of Jewish experience that the deepest law is to take a nap on Erev Shabbos. And the Imre Pinchas, or Pinchas Karitzer points out in Osiud Gimel and Imre Pinchas Shar Shabbos. Tam al Shena Be'erev Shabbos. Why do we sleep on Erev Shabbos? Five minutes, an hour, however long we sleep. And this is a teaching from Moreno Harav of Rafael, who was a Talmud and a Chavar of Rav Pinchas Karitzer, through whom we have many of his collected teachings. And he says as follows. A person cannot enter into the world to come. A person cannot enter into that place of menucha except by way of death. And Shabbos is one-sixtieth of the world to come. And slumber is one-sixtieth of death. For that reason, we need to die on Erev Shabbos. That when Erev Shabbos comes, what we're preparing ourselves to do is to allow the weak to die. That we have to undergo a deep process of removing ourselves from those difficulties of the weak. And when we come to remove ourselves from those difficulties of the weak, they're going to fight very strongly. They're going to fight as powerfully as they can to push back against their eventual demise. So comes Erev Shabbos, a person feels the chaos. A person feels the bewilderment, that being all over the place. The Kamarna Rebbe points out that Erev Shabbos is Meloshon Irbuvia, of confusion, of not knowing which way is up and which way is down. That the Eitz Adas is referred to in the Tikkun Zohar and Tikkun Nun Zayin as Ilana di Irbuvia that tree of combinations, of no longer knowing what is light and what is darkness. That is the experience of Erev Shabbos. But it's also an opportunity for us to rectify that chait of Adam HaRishon, to elevate that darkness, as the Yismach Yisrael points out. And that as we enter into that irbuvia, that darkness and that slumber, we have to recognize that this confusion and this difficulty is simply the death process that we need to undergo to cleanse ourselves and to prepare ourselves for a new taste of what Shabbos is going to offer.
Rav Soloveitchik, Chusa Yogan Elenu writes in, in his teachings on tshuva, in his teachings of tshuva, the world of tshuva, Rav Soloveitchik writes that there are many Jews who live in a world of Shabbos. There are many Jews who experience Shabbos in the greatest way possible. But what we are lacking profoundly is Jews who, who celebrate Arab Shabbos, the Jewish experience of Arab Shabbos, of experiencing this brokenness that allows us to enter into the light properly. The Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh instituted a tradition that every Arab Shabbos, Yasad Loimer Bechol Arab Shabbos, Mizmar Kof Zayin. That people should say, Hoidu la Hashem. Hodu. The 107th capital of Tehillim before Kabbalah Shabbos. And that capital of Tehillim is all about the descent of the soul into the hellish landscape of mundanity. Of entering into those ships that are rickety and broken and beaten down by the waves of the world. But it's also the capital from which we learn Birchas Hoda'a and Birchas HaGoymel. Because there needs to be a sense and an awareness on Erev Shabbos that, oh my God, I've survived. I've come so close to death, Ad Sha'are Maves, during the week, that now as I stand ready for Shabbos to come, I am recognizing, I am thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Birchas HaGoymel. Thank you for saving me from that hellish landscape of the week. Thank you for saving me and elevating me out of those broken places, out of that darkness, out of that dissatisfaction, out of that anxiety, and preparing me to finally enter into a world of Shabbos. But it only happens through a Misa of sorts. It only happens through that uncomfortable sense of Erev Shabbos, where things are chaotic and angry. The Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh teaches us, and Rav Yitzchak Meyer Morgenstern Shlita makes this a keser haksarim of his Torah, Mufianias Daiti, that tainug tmidi eno tainug, that perpetual pleasure is no longer pleasure. If everything was always good, if everything was always pleasurable, then eventually that pleasure, that calmness of spirit would begin to be suffocating. It would begin to lose any value because we would no longer know the opposite of pleasure. The opposite of pleasure, the displeasure that we experience during the week is what gives birth to the undescribable pleasure that Shabbos offers us. To that deep breath, that deep krechs that a person can say when they say nefesh av almost as if any problem that is true in a person's life disappears at that moment. When a person says, let us go, let us come and accept Shabbos, there's a relief that is almost as if I have just been saved from death. And in commenting on why tainug tamidi eno tainug, why is it true that perpetual pleasure is not pleasurable? A footnote is brought down, to prove this idea that that perpetual pleasure is no longer pleasurable and that a world that was only Shabbos would lose all value, which is why we need the whole to give birth to Shabbos. The Rambam writes in Moir Nevuchim, 
היציאה מן התיירך אל המנוחה, יותר ערבה מההשמדה על המנוחה. That the movement and the transition away from effort of that tircha of Erev Shabbos into the menucha of Shabbos is more valuable than somebody who lives their whole lives in menucha. Because if Shabbos is being reborn, if Shabbos is finding a new chayas, if Shabbos is finding that new vitality within the self that allows us to believe that in spite of all things, everything is still okay. And that Shabbos is the opportunity where we remind ourselves that we're going to say yes to life, that we're going to say Baruch Sha'amar Vahayah Oilam, that we're going to affirm reality, affirm ourselves, affirm our fellows, affirm Hakadush Baruch Hu. That need for affirmation is only going to be born out of tircha, out of struggle, out of the difficulty of the brokenness of the week. And so the first thing that I want to try and convey about Erev Shabbos is that on a certain level, Erev Shabbos is about dying. Erev Shabbos is about being prepared to experience those poisonous stings of that death-throwing speech that forces us to acknowledge that, yes, the weak is dying, but I'm preparing myself to receive that Olam Haba. I'm preparing myself to enter into a space that has nothing to do with the whole. I'm preparing myself to enter into Shabbos. And the sense that we need is Birchas HaGoymel. It's saying, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know what gave me the strength to survive the mundanity of the week, that privation, that difficulty. But all I know is that I'm getting ready to prepare for Shabbos now. Be'ezer Hashem, what we're going to discuss next week when it comes to Arab Shabbos is... What exactly is blocking us from re-entering into that Gan Eden? The Chol is when we're kicked out of Gan Eden. Re-entering into Gan Eden when that gate opens once a week is the experience of Shabbos. But there's something blocking us before we can enter in, and that's that those fiery and flaming rotating swords that create all sorts of anxiety and despair and doubt within the mind of Adam Arishon and everybody who comes from Adam Arishon. And we're going to discuss the way that our tzaddikim and the Arizal and the Zorah Kadosh give us insight into how to enter back into Gan Eden and what that process of Erev Shabbos is like. And Be'ezer Hashem will be able to be Mekayim, the words of Rav Salavechik, that it's not enough to just be Shabbos Jews, but we have to learn how to be Erev Shabbos Jews as well. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.